This morning reading comes from the book of Amos, chapter 5. And if you are following in the Church Bible, it is on page 920. 920. Chapter 5 of Amos. Hear this word, Israel. This lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again deserted in her own land, with no no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will only have a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have, have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Bathsheba, for Gilgal I will surely go into will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many your offences and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes, and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. See good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cities of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards for I will pass through your midst, saith the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. We will be as though a man fled <clears throat> it will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear. As though he had entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, 
nor light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness. I, ha <clears throat> I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not upset them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice <clears throat> roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. May the Lord God bless the reading of his word. Find it. Well, good morning, everybody, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good to be here again um, and to share from the Word of God. Thank you for that very fine reading, too, of Amos chapter 5. So, um, before we continue, let's just pray briefly. May we hear your Word, O Lord our God. May it enter deeply into us and produce in each one of us faith, hope, and love. To your glory. Amen. Now this morning we're continuing our consideration of the Old Testament book of Amos and this is the fourth of seven sermons we've got on this uh, Old Testament prophet. Uh, today we're halfway through the short book uh, looking at chapter 5. It's actually the longest chapter in the book. Amos was an agricultural labourer but more importantly he was God's prophet to proclaim God's word to the people of his day to whom he was sent. So let's open, first of all, at chapter 1, just to read some words there. And if you do have a Pew Bible, I commend the Pew Bibles to you. There's copies still available on the, on the table there. The reading we had this morning was from page 920, but it's really worth having a printed Bible in front of you, either the Pew Bible or one of your own. I know for years and years I've used my phone. I've got my Bible on the phone. I use that daily. But there's nothing like a printed version because it, gets, it, it teaches you the feel of where things are in relation to one another and um, is easy to refer to. So I would commend um, a printed Bible before you. We'll be referring in detail to the text here. Maybe it will be on the screen as well, I don't know. Okay, so just back in Amos chapter 1, um, this is what happened after we were told of the commissioning of Amos. He said, he brings the word of the Lord, he says, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. So it's got a strong word that Amos is bringing to, to the people of God there and then. He first announced impending judgments on six of the pagan enemy nations all around uh, Israel and Judah. 
um, before he then focused on God's own people, in Israel in particular. In the last two sermons, we've heard various criticisms of God through Amos of their unrighteous conduct and warnings of judgment to come. Now, chapter 5, the longest chapter, has two portions, and I'm going to deal with the first portion first, sensibly, isn't it? Uh, and uh, before we go on to the second one, the first portion is verses 1 to 17, and then we'll refer later to the last bit. Now, most of the writings in the Bible, most of the prophetic writings, are actually poetry. They don't come across generally as poetry to us, um, but they're poetry to some degree at least. The prophets, under God's guidance, put a lot of effort into getting their words arranged properly and choosing the, uh, an appropriate phrase here and there, and, um, and so on. Now, this portion in Amos, it actually begins and ends with a lament. That is a song of grief, expressing grief. So we'd better be prepared this morning for some quite somber thoughts coming through uh, this prophet. But at the same time, let's be open to the few words of hope and encouragement that there are in this chapter. They're all instructive for us, but there are some specific words of encouragement. So let's just read Amos chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, and then 16 to 17. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, the city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. Words of lament. And then down in verse 16, at the end of this section, Therefore this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says, There will be wailing in all the streets, cries of anguish in every public square, the farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards and I, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. So these are these two songs of lament um, either end of this 17 verse section. So what we notice in verse 2 is that Amos uses the past tense. Israel is fallen, it's never to rise again. It's as though the catastrophe has already happened, even though it hadn't at that time. It's one way Amos emphasised the message that he was bringing. It's as though it had already happened. And what's the picture we have here? Well, Israel, the nation, the kingdom, it's fallen, it's been defeated, and it's deserted with no ally to help, uh, it recover. No helper at all. The end is final. That's it. It's the end. Now verse 3 tells us the scale of the catastrophe. There's only 10% of the people, the armed forces, uh, that are going to survive this. And what about the rest? That's where verse 16 and 17 tells us that there's wailing, anguish, weeping uh, everywhere. Uh, town and countryside uh, universally in the country. We notice that these three verses now, verse 3 and then 16 and 17, they use the future tense. These things will happen. 
So the disaster hasn't yet happened, but you get the impression that they're on the very brink of something that's gonna, some disaster that's coming upon them. Now notice the final statement in verse 17. Uh, it says, the second half of that verse, it says, I, God, I am speaking for God, I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Now what do these words mean, pass through? Where do they come from? Is it something positive or negative, God passing through us? Well, there's a very significant background to these words that I'd like um, us to refer to now. Do you remember the series that we had here in this church back in 2021, the uh, sermons from Exodus? Well, back at that time, God miraculously delivered his people from slavery and oppression in Egypt under the hand of Moses, and he brought them to the promised land. But remember, at the last night that they spent in Egypt, the night of the tenth and final plague, each family slaughtered a Passover lamb. And they were instructed to take the blood from that lamb, which they'd capture in a basin, and they were to daub that blood around the, on the doorposts, the main entrance doors into their home, on the doorposts and the lintel of the home. And then after that, while they were eating their Passover meal, quickly, they had to do that, uh, something amazing happened. And here I'd like to refer back to that history in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. God said through Moses, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood that I've mentioned will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hence the word Passover, that's where it comes from. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So there you've got two phrases, pass through Egypt and pass over the enslaved Israelites who are keeping the Passover. God passed through Egypt in terrible judgment, but he passed over his own covenant people who were saved by the blood of the Lamb. So now returning to that verse in Amos, Amos 5 verse 17 again, uh, we got that God says, I will pass through your midst, Israel, says the Lord. God means that this act of judgment will be his work. It won't just happen. It's God bringing these things about in judgment upon Israel at this, uh, in the near future after Amos's time. And then this leads into the second portion, verses 18 to 27, which we'll get to a little later. Let's go back now to verse 4 of Amos chapter 5. We've looked at the two bookends, so to speak, those two songs of lament. Now we'll look at the next two sections, because there's a pattern here, uh, the, ne the next two sections inside those bookends. Um, and they're matching sections as well. There's verses 4 to 6 and 14 and 15. And these sections each contain a call to the people to repent, because the disaster hasn't yet happened though it's described that way, there's still time, there's opportunity to avert the judgment. So, verses 4 to 6, this is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live, God says. Do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through, is that 
Passing through again, I hear will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour and Bethel will have no one to quench it. Okay, and then the other section, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15, um, inside those two bookends, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Jacob. Now the single positive command that comes through those two sections uh, by God is repeated. It says, back in verse 4, the Lord says, seek me and live. And then in verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Verse 14, at the end then, seek good, not evil, that you may live. And finally in verse 15, hate evil, love good. God wanted them to live. He didn't want to bring disaster on them. But for them to live and to avoid the impending disaster, there was only one way, and that was to seek the Lord. They were seeking. They were going to other places, among them the three ancient places that are mentioned there, Bethel, Gilgal and Beersheba. They were probably going on religious pilgrimages to those places. And uh, this will be taken up in our questions for reflection and discussion. But what they needed to do was to go to God. They needed to seek God. And it's just the same today. God wants people to live. He wants all people to live. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But for people to live... And to avoid disaster, there's only one way, to seek the Lord. Now, the words of the Apostle Peter are very relevant here, and I'd like to just turn to them. That's in uh, Second of Peter, at chapter 3, and uh, from verse 9. Here, um, we read that about God, in the context of the coming of Christ again, Peter, the Apostle, writes this. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Maybe literal, maybe uh, figurative, but maybe both. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord, the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Let's go back to Amos then with, uh, with um, the, those New Testament words in mind. It looked like the nation was too far gone down the road to doom. But where there's life, there's hope, isn't there? So at the end of verse 15, he says, Amos writes this, perhaps the Lord God will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. There was always that hope there, which may not be realised for the people as a whole, but for a remnant amongst the people.
there's always the way. Now I'd like to point out um, I'd like to point out something in the previous verse, in verse 14 there. Um, after the call to seek God and live, notice what Amos says. He says, then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. And that's very interesting. They believed that God favoured them um, because they were powerful and prosperous at that time, um, almost as much as in Solomon's glorious reign centuries earlier. And they thought that too because they adhered to certain outward forms of religion. But they were wrong. They were misguided. God wasn't actually with them in the way they were saying he was. Okay, now we'll look at the central section of that first portion, the verses 7 through to 13. And here we find there were nine characteristics of the nation at that time uh, that God that dis was displeased with and that he mentioned. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to pick through those verses, pick out the various phrases that tell us what it was, this is very important for us, what it was about them that displeased God and would bring on this disaster. So in verse 7 we read... Um, he says, you who turn justice into bitterness. This is what they were doing. They were turning justice into bitterness. In the second half of that verse, they were casting righteousness to the ground. Looking down at verse 10, they, hate, they hated the one who upholds justice in court. Or words to that effect. Uh, the translations vary slightly on, on these some of these things, but they're all with the same intent. They hated the one who reproves in court, who upholds justice in the court. And in the second half of that verse, they were despising him who tells the truth. Verse 11, they were trampling on the poor. And the second half of verse, uh, next bit, they were forcing the poor to give you grain or what that is, is a form of extortion. They were forcing the poor to give grain. And in verse 12, we read uh, the second, second bit there. They were oppressing the righteous. And then also they were taking bribes. And finally in verse 12, depriving the poor of justice in the courts. There, there are nine things that I could find in that, sec that central section. Now God saw all those things in them. No wonder then he says, as he does in verse 12, I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. And this is just a list of probably not all of them. It's probably not exhaustive. And then in verse 13 he says, the times are evil. It's a sad picture, especially for the poor inhabitants of the land. Now, by contrast, in that time of prosperity, general prosperity, when the poor were suffering, poor and marginalised, um, those who were particularly being addressed, we read of in verse 11, this is what they were doing, along with all these other things. Uh, they, were, they had built stone mansions, glamorous places to live. And another thing, in, uh, they'd also, in verse 13, were told that they'd planted vineyards. Uh -huh, sorry. Uh, in verse 11, rather, uh, they'd, they'd planted lush vineyards. They'd done all right. God warns that he's going to terminate their luxurious living. 
You're not going to live in these mansions, he says, and you're not going to drink the wine from these vineyards. Now, there's something I want us to notice in this. Um, God's concern is about more than social justice, about treating poor and marginalised people well. He is concerned about that issue very much, but there's actually something a bit more here that we should notice. Um, there's a parallel words when he, he talks about those who are being badly affected by the well-off. The words used are, just picking them out, poor, verse 11, righteous in verse 12, press the righteous, poor again in verse 12, uh, the end verse 12. And this linkage we saw previously in Amos as well, back in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. There we had... In a similar kind of treatment, he talks about the righteous, then the needy, then the poor, and the oppressed. So there's some correspondence between the righteous and the poor, okay? The people in view are actually the righteous poor in particular. Now, they're not righteous because they're poor, but they're poor because they're righteous, and in a corrupt and ruthless society, such as was then, uh, where the population is far from God, the people most vulnerable to abuse and exploitation are the righteous. And it's like that today in many parts of the world today. It's the righteous who suffer. Many people suffer, but the righteous often suffer more so than other people. So God is concerned about social justice, very much so, but it's those righteous ones who are suffering in that way, in particular in view. Let's look at the first two things in our list in chapter 5, Amos 5, verse 7. God says, uh, you turn justice into bitterness and you cast righteousness to the ground. Now, the two words justice and righteousness are not abstract principles in the Bible. They're not just uh, philosophical ideas. Um, they arise from God himself, his attributes, his revealed will and our obedience to him. Many then, as now, had corrupted God's justice and righteousness. They'd turned it into poison, as it says there, or bitterness. Uh, or they'd abandoned it altogether, cast it aside. At core... That's what was wrong in their society and that's why the God-fearing members of their society were feeling the heat. Now finally, we'll look at the shorter second portion of this chapter from verses 18 to 27. It is a sombre word, isn't it, what we've got here from Amos, very largely a sombre word um, that, that draws our attention. We need to remember that God has wrath, but God is love. God has wrath, but he is love through all this. That's behind it all. Uh, so let's look now um, at 18 to 27. This, the, the heading in my Bible is the day of the Lord, which is a fair heading. Uh, this is a big theme which runs right through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and it's worthy of a detailed study, but we'll limit ourselves this morning to just what we have here in this text. So verse 18, for example, he says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. 
They're all shouting out, yeah, we long for the day of the Lord. Why? Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. And then in verse 20, he says, will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Wow. Many people in Amos' time thought the coming day of the Lord would be just wonderful for them, but they're mistaken. The truth is really not quite as Amos puts it, it will be both darkness and light. Darkness for many, if not most of the people, but light for God's faithful people. And that's still true. This subject of the day of the Lord is just as much a New Testament subject as it is an old, and it's dealt with in the same way. So here I'd like to just have a quick look at uh, Thessalonians, Paul's letter, his second letter to the church in Thessalonica, at chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. Here Paul too is talking about the day of the Lord when Jesus will come again. And he says that, um, he talks about when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. The first thing he says is he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. This is the day of the Lord. And shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. And this includes you, Paul writing to Thessalonian believers, but also extending to us. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. And so he goes on to pray for them all. The second coming of Jesus will actually mean darkness for many, many people. That's the case. But it will mean light for God's saints. Now, the remainder of this section in Amos, going back to Amos 5 now, uh, yet, yet again includes stern words from God which we do well to carefully consider. Now, outwardly, they were complying with God's laws, at least some of them. Well, what were they doing? Let's have a look. In verse 21, we read that they were having religious feasts or festivals. Uh, they were attending assemblies, religious assemblies. Verse 22, they were bringing to God, supposedly, bringing burnt offerings, grain offerings, choice fellowship offerings, all there in verse 22. And finally, they were, in verse 23, they were singing songs. These are songs of worship, mind you. They were singing songs accompanied by music of harps and no doubt other instruments as well. Well, all that sounds good, doesn't it? And commendable. After all, hadn't God commanded the, this sort of thing to be done? And here they are, they're going about those things. But what did God actually think of their activities? Well, he tells us in verse 21 to 23, he says, I hate... I despise, I cannot stand, I will not accept them, he says, and I'll have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen, says God. Does that surprise us? It all looked good, but God saw below the surface and he saw into their hearts. And as the final verse indicates, they were really ignoring God but worshipping idols. 
gods of their own creation. They might just as well have been worshipping any other so-called god. So judgment, including humiliating exile, was coming. God didn't want from them what they were bringing. Well, what did God want? He tells us in verse 24 of Amos 5. This is it. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Here are those same two words that we encountered earlier, justice and righteousness. Well, God is holy and he calls us to be his holy people. That was ever the way. We looked right back before they became a nation as they were, you know, the slaves escaping from Egypt, being led through the wilderness. God said back there in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44, he said, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. And those that... That brief summary statement is taken up repeatedly through the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. Be holy because God himself is holy. Now I indicated at the beginning that this is a sombre chapter. It really is. But that as well as receiving its message, we should look for words of hope and encouragement. Have there been any for us? Well, it's very limited in that respect, isn't it? The only such words I can find are there in chapter 5, verse 6 where God says, seek the Lord and live. And that was also in verse 4, seek me and live, and in verse 14 again, repeat it again. Live, truly live, in this life and for eternity. That's what God wants for you and for me. He wants us to live. And we can couple that with Jesus' words in the New Testament. Um, about seeking God and living. Jesus said, this is in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, truly seek, and you will find. If you seek God, you will find God. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And then there's Jesus' gracious invitation to us all in chapter 11 of Matthew, verses 28 to 30. He said, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We all long for that rest. That rest is a very deep thing. It's not just uh, feet up, you know, but it's something really deep that we all need. And Jesus is giving that to us. Come to me and I will give you rest. So let's not hold back whatever the society around us may do and however they may treat us. Let's respond positively to God's command and to his invitation to seek God and live. Thank you. Let's just pray. Lord God, we are in awe of you. You are a holy God, and we know that we fall far short of your holiness. The better we see you, the worse we know ourselves to be. Please have mercy on us. Please forgive us. Cleanse us. Renew us. Please help us by your Holy Spirit to be your holy people a fitting bride 
for your dear Son, our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone.